0: Is the Under Center Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Under Center Podcast. I am your host, Dara Marr, and we're here on this Thursday looking ahead to the Thursday night football. The Miami Dolphins, the undefeated Miami Dolphins, heading to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals in a fantastic AFC matchup. Um, probably the one of the better uh, Thursday night matchups we're going to get this week season and joining me today uh, i'm delighted to welcome back jake Woolhead. jake you are very welcome back to the show we we figured it out actually there uh off air it is your first show back since the season began so yeah yeah
1: I'm good. I was off honeymooning and uh, missed basically the first two weeks of football. So I really had to dig in my heels for the past Sunday just so I can get red zone in and watch a couple of games. And then I woke up Monday, or was it Monday morning, Tuesday morning after the Giants game, and you were all right in your fucking group while I was trying to stay away from my phone so I could actually watch the match undisturbed. But uh, (laughs) yeah, all good, all good. And it was a disaster of a game for me, but uh, I would have much rather it ruined on me.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well jake you have been part of the show long enough to know that the group chat will go on and you should have kept it on mute for today you should give not.
1: me a period of time in the morning that i can like <laughs> not look at my phone and and have like a nice peaceful time to watch the 40 minute condensed version of a match <laughs>
0: I'll keep that in mind for the next. Uh, Prime Only time. for the Giants. I don't care about anything. Yeah, that. The That's next really primetime Giants game. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, also, delighted to welcome back on the show Adam Wilson. Adam, it's been a little while since we've had the pleasure to chat. How have you been?
2: Yeah, not too bad. Just getting normal the football season. So we'll see how things go.
0: Well that's it, I think it's been a few weeks since we've had you on, so since then, New England have had a win and a loss, so it's kind of, you know, you're kind of perfectly balanced at the moment, Um, you know, we haven't had you yet on our review shows um, for our therapy sessions I should say, that's what me and Reen are calling them at the moment, just to try and yeah, get over it. the losses of the week before, but um, I'm sure you could have done with it after last Sunday's game.
2: Yeah, I think this could be a a long therapy session for me over the next few weeks. (laughs) It's not sounding
1: pretty for you, all right? It's going to (laughs) be
0: pretty rough. And look here, Jake knows all about having rough seasons with no quarterback at all. So I'm sure you guys can help each other out. It'll be no problem. Um, But we'll get into the New England side of things in a little bit because we are going to go through a bit of news. After that, later on in the show, we're delighted to welcome back PFF Sam Monson onto the show. Um, We're going to look at a little more in-depth the game later on this evening and a few other news stories around The NFL, But before we do get into the news, I should also mention that this show is brought to you in partnership with Locker. Locker is a new sports app that centralises premium sports content and puts the power in the hands of fans to personalise their world of sport, including a range of premium NFL sources that can be tailored to your fan experience. Download the app for free in the Irish or UK iOS and Play Store today. Um, But let's get on to the news, guys, and I say, um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about maybe about the the Cleveland Browns because their star defensive end, Miles Garrett, suffered a shoulder strain and a bicep strain, um, as well as cuts and bruises in a one-car crash he was involved in on Monday afternoon. Um, Garrett was released from a, a Cleveland hospital the same day after being treated for the injury. Uh, GM Andrew Berry said on Tuesday that um, Garrett cleared concussion protocol. Sorry, excuse me. But his uh, status for Sunday's game against the Atlanta Falcons is still up in the air. Of course, the crash occurred after um, Garrett left practice at the Browns training facility in um, Berea, Ohio. Um, I'm sure we've seen the pictures um throughout the week on social media and probably the video that was released the body cam footage of the paramedic coming onto the scene and seeing um Garrett get treated but um a very very scary moment for the uh, the Browns star defender and and Jake for you first of all it's a miracle that first of all he's escaped with um any serious life threatening injuries and also that there's still a chance he could play a game of football this Sunday
1: yeah, of course. Number one foremost is making sure he's okay. Obviously, um, I can't remember what the story about, but he, the car flipped a couple of times, I believe. And, I mean, that's always going to be scary for any player, any person. So, uh, just glad that he's okay and no major injuries from it. But uh, just on the Browns side of things, as an NFL football podcast, we got to talk about it. Uh, big hit for the Browns if, obviously, Miles Garrett doesn't play his Top edge rusher, top edge rusher in the league. So I'm sure he'll be sorely missed if he doesn't play. But look, one game's not going
0: to hurt the team too much. Um, Adam, from your own point of view as well, the like I said, the the pictures and stuff were, were quite scary. And it's um, like I said, it is a miracle that he and I think he had a, 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 a another person in the car too. Um, Both escaping with serious injuries and like that. Um like what Jake said, it is going to be a big miss for the Browns if they do if he does miss the game.
2: Yeah, I had seen about the car crash but I haven't seen any of the photos or videos or anything like that yet. But it's obviously going to be a scary thing to be involved in anyway. So I hope he's alright. I hope if somebody else was in the car with him, I hope they're okay. But it is going to be a massive loss for the Browns if they have to miss a game. But let's take a look at the 2 1 game is not going to hurt their season.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think they've actually done a lot better than we've expected them to at the start of this year too, with winning a couple of games. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. And Jacoby Rousset has looked quite assured in that quarterback position with obviously the miss of um, their new QB, Deshaun Watson. But we'll move on to the next story. And... Um, it is the New York Giants wide receiver Sterling Shepard who suffered a torn ACL in Monday night's game against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the injury will more than likely end his season and perhaps his time with the Giants Shepard is the longest tenured player on the team in the final year of a restructured deal. He signed this offseason and um, he was also coming off a torn Achilles last year as well and. Um, the MetLife field, Jake, has come again to some criticism Um, after it claimed another victim to a serious knee injury. And do the Jets and the Giants need to come together um, and try to decide maybe it's time to change this turf?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That turf is devil turf. I don't know what the story is, but all turf is bad. It's not good for lower soft tissue, or not soft tissue, lower body injuries that are non-contact are always going to be bad on turf. And... Uh, soccer isn't allowed to be played on turfs when it goes to America. So I don't see why when you have to cut 90 degrees at a hundred miles an hour that you have to be on turf for, it It makes no sense. But again, at the start of the season, this question was poised or, or posed to John Mara owner of the New York Giants. He said, no, it's absolutely fine. The NFL says that the field, the turf is fine and that we don't need to change it. So he doesn't want to change it. Obviously having two teams play there, whatever other events happen in MetLife in the off season, um, the, it's a lot cheaper probably to maintain the, the turf. So that's what they're going for, I'm guessing. But uh, if you're a star player, start going down. If you have seen it, he was literally just jogging and fell to the ground in immense pain. Didn't cut or anything. So I'm not sure what's going on there. But if I'm players looking at going to MetLife, I'm starting to think maybe I shouldn't be playing on this team. Maybe my sore thigh is going to be a little bit sore this game. and not playing it. But the the NFLPA should be doing something about it as well. I mean, start demanding the the move to grass fields because it's just ridiculous. You can deal with soft tissue damage that heals easier. But having your players go out for a year is gonna hurt teams, especially when bigger
0: names players start to go down. Yeah. And Adam, um Jake, like Jake mentioned there, the, the video of the injury itself, it was so you know nonchalant innocuous. how he was innocuous exactly. Thank you that he was just walking down the field or jogging like it, it could be no more than a light jog and you just see him suddenly just pull up and start hopping on that and holding that knee, and you know we see if we look closer to home, you know we don't see a lot of teams play on artificial grass here. Um, only one team comes to mind, and I think that's the that's UCD. Um, but your thoughts on it as well? Like I, I guess. It's something that the NFL should look to do for probably most teams. Um, I know in some cities there's climate issues where you just can't do it, but there's no excuse for, like, if the likes of you now the Vegas Raiders can bring in a natural grass field in the middle of a desert and have that work, there's no excuse for these other teams now to be able to do that too. So, sorry, before,
1: Adam. Just let me cut in front of you there. I only read today, right? That you know the like the field that comes out uh, in the new Tottenham Stadium, the the actual football grass, not the American football grass. That's stored underneath in a special irrigated place. That's kind of you know he- healthy for grass. Why can't teams do something like that? I, I read the Ra- Raiders can have a uh, grass field grow outside because the, like they could just uh, water it as they please and it's fine. So they can just keep it na- nice and dandy, but. Teams that are in colder weather, they could do something special that keeps the grass a lot nicer throughout the season in the the bad weather.
2: Yeah, I think you've got two teams playing on that. So somebody's going to be playing there every week. Surely there's going to be enough staff between the two of them that can help out with the grass. You know, I just don't think the turf seems to be working there. As both of you have alluded to, you know, he was almost coming to a halt. Nobody anywhere near him, and he's just dropped. You know, so it was definitely a strange one. Um, there's definitely more that can be done. You've definitely mentioned the uh, the NFLPA, so I think they need to start acting now. Otherwise, it's going to keep happening, and something more serious could happen before they end up acting on it.
0: Can I play a bit of devil's advocate on this, Jake? Actually, because absolutely, um, did we see that the Giants and the Jets were slow to act on these sort of things because, now? I could be wrong. I don't have the stats in front of me, but the majority of these injuries are opposing players and it's not really happening to the home players as much. So that's maybe why they're not as, you know, quick to make a decision to 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 move the grass or to move to a, a sorry a grass field.
1: No, I don't I don't really think so because Number one, there's 32 teams in the league. They all get to vote on stuff like this. So whether or not it's your team or the opposing team, I think um, it's still going to be brought up if the Cleveland Browns come to the MetLife on, on Sunday and somebody goes down, they're going to have a word about it. But also, let's give you the, the ones that I read again just after this Sterling Shepherd injury. His two out of three games at MetLife, his last two out of three games at MetLife, he has torn Achilles and torn ACL. That's not good for a player. <laughs> like That's not good for any stat. Like, that's just ridiculous. And it, it's just, um, I think it's money, to be honest. I think the biggest thing is money. Real grass would be an actual nightmare to take care of. So I think that's where they're going to come from. That's their argument for it. But when, as I think Odell said, it's like a $300 billion uh, league. Why can't they just have um, grass, take care of grass for the extra, the extra cost? You have to feel bad for Sterling Shepard. He restructured his deal. He's always been like a a Giants guy, never gave out, never done anything. Uh, Two major injuries, uh, concussions. I think he's had four or five in the past four years. Restructures his deal to help the team out, took his last year off so he can be a free agent if he wants. And now he's probably going to have to call it a career. Having to come back from that two serious injuries is really going to hamper his value anyway possibly
0: and that's it if it's not him if it's not himself that decides to call the career maybe other teams are making that decision for him with with his injury record and maybe not want to take that chance but possibly maybe a pay as you play deal maybe something like that can come along if if a team is is desperate enough for some wide receiver help and, and shepherd has shown when he is healthy he can be a very good serviceable wide receiver Yeah,
1: he's got a great set of hands, runs correct routes. He's a smart player, great run block and wide receiver. So I think if he shows that he can run again and has the willingness to do it, I wouldn't, I'd sign him again to the Giants
0: well let's uh, let's move on quickly then to the next uh, story Uh, New England Patriots quarterback Mac Jones is dealing with what doctors have diagnosed as, as a severe ankle sprain that could cause uh, many to have surgery sources told ESPN Adam Schefter Jones is likely to miss multiple games uh, sources have said um, and the Patriots are still discussing his uh, his options and the best way to proceed Jones um, who suffered the loss, uh, who suffered the the spring, sorry, in Sunday's loss to the Ravens and um, deflected questions on his timetable for recovery when asked about it earlier on Monday uh, in a video conference with reporters the, the Patriots uh, quarterback kept using the words day to day or day by day over nine times in the video press conference he says uh, I'm just going to take it day by day get my treatment and do what I can or do what I do I should say just see how I feel Uh, If you have uh, any more of those types of questions, talk to Coach Belichick. I think he likes those questions. Um, Adam, do you think maybe that the Patriots should even look in the short term sort of um, rest for Matt Jones and maybe put him on IR for those four games and maybe even just give him that four week break, it kind of would help it, it kind of helps both people because he doesn't want to get surgery. So that means you won't get surgery, you get a break. And for the Patriots side of things, to give him that risk to probably stop stop from aggravating the injury even more and possibly use them for longer.
2: Yeah, I think the picture is always, you know, next man up and um, in terms of Mark Jones, it's whether we want to win with this team now or are we still in a rebuilding year. You know, if we want him back to win this season he's gonna to have to have the surgery and come back. If they're happy enough to let him rest, let the next man step up, whether it be Brian Hoyer, whether it be Ricky he's happy. I think it's looking Hoyer, but whether they want to win now, he has the surgery, if they're happy to rebuild, let him rest, let him go through things and progress in the second year for the rest of the season. Then they just let him have the rest.
0: You're on mute, there Sorry, I was going to say, I bet uh, Coach Belichick now is kicking himself that he still doesn't have Jared Stittam on the roster. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, he just goes to follow around right? Josh McDaniels.
0: <laughs> Jake, um, what what would be your opinion on this? Do you think maybe that it'd be best for all parties if Jones takes um the. surgery or maybe takes the extended break but it looks from looks from our point of view or from what we're reading that um Jones is sort of resistant to taking any sort of time off
1: yeah it looks like he just wants to go the, the natural healing route no surgery and and hope it it um comes back to full strength but on the flip side of it he's a quarterback a quarterback he's not the most mobile of guys so it's not like you're talking about Lamar Jackson with a high ankle sprain it's a possibility he could play through a little bit of pain uh, as long as it's not going to damage a bit more. He could throw the ball. He still can put a bit of pressure on it. Um, maybe not this week, obviously, in the future. but um, So maybe it's a bit of a smarter decision from him. You just will see him not come out of the pocket so much. I don't know how it affects that team as much. Maybe they have to put in a little bit of extra work to block for him. But um, he's certainly a smart enough guy, decent quarterback. So I can see him making a smart decision staying off a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it can be, and then come back in Trona and just being a bit, bit more ginger on it. Yeah,
0: well, I like that, Adam. Um, I'll ask you finally on this, then. If he does say take the four weeks, it's not beyond the realms of possibility, then, if he comes back after four weeks, that this Patriots could still make maybe a late wild-card run for the playoffs. Yeah, definitely.
2: You know, we're only at the start point in the season. There's always another chance to come back into it. You know, I know we're sitting with a win and a loss right now. You know, These four games, what happens if Mac does miss these four games? He knows what to say? He could come back into a team with a winning record. He could come back into a team that's lost every game and are really desperately trying to claw their way back in. I think it depends on how Miami continue and what happens with Buffalo. But it's hard to see three teams make it from the division and I can't see us overtaking them too at the minute anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, three teams from the NFC West made the, the playoffs. Um, was it last season? Yeah, last season. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility. I know the AFC is a lot stronger this year, but maybe it's not as strong as we thought it was going to be because there's a lot of uh, teams with very questionable starts so far, none, none more so than the Las Vegas Raiders. But um, I think that's where we're going to wrap up this edition of the news. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're speaking to Sam Monson from PFF. And you're welcome back to the second part of the Undercenter podcast. Darren Jake here with you, and we are delighted to be joined by Sam Monson from PFF. Sam, it's the first chance we've had to speak to you uh,
3: on the start of this new season. How have you been? Good, good. It's, uh, it's been a pretty fun ride already um, <laughs> after the first three weeks. Some pretty crazy results, um, you know different things than everybody was expecting. But yeah, another fun football season.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, as always, it starts off and we have so many things to talk about. Um, we'll get through a few of them there today, but um, is there been any sort of standout sort of storyline or narrative to you that you've been, you know, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say shocked by, but has sort of surprised you so far?
3: I think Miami being as good as they look right now through three weeks is is pretty surprising and, and maybe the story of the season so far. Um, obviously the addition of Tyreek Hill, Mike McDaniel, the head coach, the changes that they made on the offensive line, and now Tua looking really good at quarterback so far, that's all come together in a way that I didn't think was necessarily going to happen right away. And, you know, so many teams went crazy this offseason in terms of adding players, you know, adding key pieces and getting better. Miami was a team that I felt in the off season They might have done some really good things, but they felt like a team that maybe didn't do quite enough and, you know, would be on the outside looking in versus some of these other really good teams. But certainly for uh, the first three weeks, like they look absolutely legit. And if they're able to win again this week, you know, on Thursday night, get a win against a Bengals team that, you know, desperately needs it. All of a sudden, I think the conversation about Miami changes and we're not talking about you know surprising team and and how well they're they're doing and can they make the playoffs like at that point we're talking about buffalo the road to winning that division goes back to to beating miami like it, the whole dynamic i think changes
1: yeah that was crazy i mean in the offseason they obviously had to tell you, Rachel, and then you, you mentioned how good too has become over the at least for the first time of the season but um, I remember just maybe a month ago there was a tweet going out about a wobbly pass that Tua threw and the whole internet blew up how Tua was a terrible quarterback and then Tyreek comes out and says oh he's a great quarterback he throws the ball to me every time perfect spin and all this sort of stuff and now all of a sudden the narratives change. He's he's playing great it's just it's typical sports I think uh, that flip flip
3: side yeah and I don't even think that you know, Tua is We always trying to work out sort of who gets the biggest piece of the pie when you're talking about blame or about credit for for something turning around. So you've got Tua, you've got Tyreek Hill, you've got the offensive line, you've got Mike McDaniel, all these uh, additions or changes. And you're trying to work out sort of what's the biggest reason. I think Tua is like third or fourth on that list in terms of why Miami is better than they look like they were going to be. I think you probably give more credit to Mike McDaniel. I think you give more credit to Tyree Kill and the impact he has on that offense. So two is definitely playing better, but I think a huge part of that is more like this is the first time he's had a viable supporting cast relative to the previous years, as opposed to you know he's so much better than he's been in the past.
0: Yeah. And sort of one team um that probably would have taught or would have hoped or expected, you could say, Um, they would be in a sort of similar position to Miami's, the Denver Broncos. Now, they are still two and one, so it's not exactly as if they're having a disastrous year. But the the offensive uh, promise or the offensive expectations that uh, we would have had at the start of the season just sort of haven't been there uh, so far yet.
3: No, they haven't. And the big question is whether that's just, you know, the inevitable teething problems of uh, so many new things, you know, Nathaniel Hackett, a new offense, Russell Wilson, a new quarterback, um, or whether that is like going to be a long term problem there. And this whole Russell Wilson thing just isn't going to work the way people thought it would. Um, And I'm not 100% sure where I come down on that yet. I. I kind of went all over the place on Russell Wilson to Denver over the course of the offseason. When they made the move, you know, obviously it's it's an exciting change. It's a big upgrade over Drew Locke and, and what they had there before, but it did feel like there was a pretty good chance that the problems in Russell Wilson's play being married to this Nathaniel Hackett offense were not always going to mesh that well. And the longer it went on, I kind of soured on the idea more. And then very just before the season started, I I ended up sort of thinking, well, actually, the, the gap between Drew Locke and Russell Wilson is so huge that like that's the most important thing here. And he'll be better and they will be a, a playoff team and they'll, you know, be contenders anyway, just because that's such a huge difference. Um, but actually, I think the the sort of first instinct may have been more correct that this whole, you know, there's a reason that Russell Wilson um, – was never quite given the same responsibilities and free reign in Seattle that a lot of other quarterbacks that were as good as he was should have had. And and people kind of put that down to, well, Pete Carroll's just a dinosaur of a coach and all this kind of stuff. But actually, I think there's a degree to which, you know, Russell Wilson is the architect of some of his own troubles. And that doesn't go away just because you change environment and change team that he's on.
0: Yeah. And is there a chance here with we- – and I've talked about it on the show as well. And, you know, being a Seahawks fan, I kind of am a little, no, probably know a little too much about how Russell Wilson is and uh, with the team and stuff like this. But the way his sort of, you know, public persona has become the last few years, um, and the way he sort of has publicly said that he wants to take a, like, be more of a um, leader um, in teams, coupling that with, like, that a rookie head coach and Nathaniel Hackett, could you think maybe Hackett's authority could be undermined a little bit? Maybe he's so keen to like get this to work, he'll give Wilson
3: whatever he wants, maybe to the detriment of the team. I don't think that's really where the issues are. I think it's more, um, Russell Wilson plays the game in an unusual way. You know, he's not like other quarterbacks, and that's a good thing most of the time because he's capable of making spectacular plays, he's capable of. He might be the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, all those kinds of things. Um, And when he's playing at his best, it's it's really good. But that style of play means it's difficult for coaches to match what they do with what he does really well. You know, when Aaron Rodgers is playing really well, the the match with the offense is seamless. There's no sort of tweaking that needs to be done. He just fits in perfectly and everything complements each other. When Russell Wilson is playing even at his best, it still doesn't necessarily fit the way the offense is supposed to be run. And I think it's difficult for coaches to figure out how best to modify their systems to really get in sync with what Wilson does best and where he struggles a little bit. And I I think Seattle probably went through several coaches trying to figure that out. I think Nathaniel Hackett is now trying to figure that out in addition to doing the other sort of seven things that are part of being an NFL head coach. And right now he's – you know, really struggling with that whole balance.
0: Yeah. And staying in the AFC uh, West, it's probably the most surprising um, team in that division so far is the Las Vegas Raiders with their 0-3 start. And it's definitely not what Raiders fans were expecting after the big Devontae Adams trade and now bringing Josh McDaniels in as the head coach. But from what you're seeing from the Raiders this year, um, what can you sort of put your finger on in terms of where the issues
3: are? It's very difficult to figure out. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And that, I, I think that and the Miami Dolphins being as good as they are, the two sort of biggest stories so far through three weeks when, you know, the Raiders offense was pretty good a year ago. And when you add up, you know, add Devonte Adams to that. And then on top of that, Matt Collins is playing really well through the first three weeks out of nowhere. Those things should not add up to what is currently being produced by this offense. It's almost, impossible to envisage a scenario where you have Devonte Adams added to the group from last year and Derek Carr and Matt Collins showing up and you're like, well, what does that produce? It's somehow producing what we're seeing through the first few weeks. It doesn't make a ton of sense. I think there's always a little bit of difficulty in terms of a balance of trying to figure out, you know, when you force feed the ball to a guy like Devonte Adams or when you move it around to other people and how that whole dynamic works. But it's very strange right now why the Raiders offense is not playing better than it is because even the offensive line, which is the biggest weakness in personnel on that side of the ball, their line hasn't been atrocious. You know, it was an area where going into the season, you were saying, I love their receivers. I think Derek Carr is a good quarterback, but that offensive line could undermine all of it. If it's, if it plays badly enough, it hasn't played at that level. Like it's, it's definitely not been the reason that this whole offense has, has been dramatically underperforming.
1: And Sam, on a, a different note, is there a player from the start of the season, your, your preseason assessment that has pleasantly surprised you? And on the flip side, has there been someone you thought was going to do really well, but is just now struggling for some reason?
3: I mean, so far, Jalen Hurts, I think has taken a huge step forward, at quarterback for the Eagles. Uh, and that was their big question mark heading into the year. You know, they've done a lot of good things. They've, really built a team in a smart way over the last few seasons, but how good they could be this year was always going to come down to, you know, how good is Jalen hurts going to be this year because he was good, not great a year ago. And when they got to the playoffs in particular, you know, there's just an obvious gulf in class between what hurts is able to do and and the legit contending quarterbacks once you get to January, but through a few games so far, he looks fantastic. I mean, he's been so much better as a passing quarterback I think the, the addition to AJ, of A.J. Brown, um, maybe the step forward in Devontae Smith with A.J. Brown taking some of the attention away, like Jalen Hurts has just been playing so much better as a passer, and he brings that rushing threat to the table as well. So I think he's been a real surprise. He's number one or two right now in terms of PFF grades over the course of the season, and that like that's an area I didn't know that he was capable of reaching before this year um what do we got overachie or guys that have underperformed relative to expectations um I think I mean Derek Carr is probably the biggest one in terms of that position quarterback he had like one big time throw through the first few weeks he had nine this time a year ago uh he was leading the league in big time throws for the majority of last season and then and that was even with you know, lacking a, a true number one or a true uh, deep threat for most of the year, I again with the Raiders, I don't quite understand why Derek Carr's performance has regressed so hard.
0: Yeah, and then on the sort of NFC side, uh, as a maybe as a whole, and we'll, we'll touch on it quickly because um, the teams sort of that we've expected that are probably going to be playoff contenders and be right up there with the likes of the Rams, the Bucks, the. The, the Packers have sort of you know started slowly. Um, the Cardinals have sort of dropped off a little bit as well. And is there anything there in the AFC that is that you're that you're looking at in terms of? I guess you know it, that you feel could challenge. If there's, <laughs> I know we're looking way in the future, but like a Super Bowl, like I I'm not seeing anything from the NFC so far that could say that they're legitimate Super Bowl contenders.
3: Yeah. I I think the thing is the AFC top to bottom is so much stronger, but whoever comes out of the NFC is probably going to end up being, you know, a very good team that can go toe to toe with the best teams in the AFC. The problem is like the AFC might have, you know, nine teams that could all qualify in that kind of category, but yeah, the bucks don't look as strong as they've looked in, in the last couple of years, but they've also been dealing with an absolute raft of injuries and, you know, they're getting by right now. But once we get to January, if the Bucs have got all their wide receivers back, if they've got an offensive line that's not banged up and their left tackles, you know, back in action, Donovan Smith. I think Tom Brady is still playing at a really high level and the Bucks are still going to be able to cook. Um, so I think Tampa Bay are still a, a worthy Super Bowl kind of team. The Eagles, if they continue this run, if Jalen Hurts stays at that level, I think they look like they can take down, you know, pretty much any team in the NFL as well. I wouldn't overlook Green Bay yet, though I think that lack of receivers is a real problem for them. Maybe the thing that does stop them rivaling those other teams from uh, from the AFC. But I think there's definitely teams in the NFC that may be underachieving, but they're definitely going to be threats once they get to you know the playoffs. And, and once you get to a one-off game, they're going to be good enough to challenge the AFC team.
0: Yeah, and let's uh, sort of look ahead then to tonight's game um of course the dolphins traveling to cincinnati to take on the bengals the bengals finally get on the board last weekend against the jets after going 0 and 2 the first two weeks like we've mentioned earlier on the dolphins defying sort of expectations with a fantastic start this year um i guess the sort of questions coming into this game were are all about to in terms of his I guess his head injury that is not classed as a head injury, but we all thought it was a head injury and kind of now is a back slash ankle injury. Um, it looks as though he's going to pass, he's going to get through and play Thursday, but sort of your own thoughts on what happened, uh, on Sunday. And then, but you feel it's right that he's been able to get through now to, to Thursday and play again?
3: Yeah. It's very difficult to work out what's true and what's, you know, just being said because of the optics. Um, I, I find it very difficult to believe that Tua was not exhibiting head injury symptoms when he got up and he was wobbly and he could barely stand and he was shaking his head and all those kinds of things. I think it's also entirely plausible that he was dealing with a back injury in that game at the same time. But I don't think that that explains you know, what we saw on the field. I don't think that everything he did after his head slammed off the turf – can be explained by his back tightened up and that's why he was wobbling and all that kind of stuff um at which point you get into the idea of well if a guy is displaying obvious head injury symptoms does it even matter that he passed the concussion protocol right which is the bottom line here um and i think that rugby deals with this as well like there, there is no defined concrete test for concussion the rugby has the hia stuff the nfl has a concussion protocol. There isn't like a black and white test. Like this is the best guess of medical professionals to try and get as close as possible. Um, But I, and, and guys will, you know, they'll pass it or they'll fail it. And if you fail it, it's almost certainly a big problem. But just because you passed, I think doesn't mean there was no issue. And in particular, I think when there's visible evidence of somebody dealing with some kind of head injury, to me, that should immediately rule them out of the game, regardless of whether they pass or fail, any kind of concussion test. Um, Emmanuel Acho had this story on Twitter where he, he said that he got his bell rung in a game. He did the concussion protocol test. He passed it. And later that day, driving home from the game, he got to a street and didn't know what his, which is, was his house. So the fact that you're able to pass the concussion test doesn't necessarily mean anything with regards to head injury. Um, and then even like, if you're trying to stamp this kind of thing out of the game, if you're trying to change, the way we treat head injuries it almost doesn't even matter if the back injury thing is 100% true like just for the optics you should keep him out you should pretend that it was a head injury and say we are treating it with we're going to err on the side of an abundance of caution this looked like a head injury we are going to assume it is and he's got he's done he's not coming back into the game so I just don't think it's it's terrible optics and that's assuming that everything is above board which who knows Yeah,
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's something that um, it's so severe and we know so much more about than we did maybe five years ago or 10 years ago that maybe just err on the side of caution uh, on anything that looks like a head injury. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, uh, full agreement there. Um, Looking at then sort of some of the the bigger matchups coming into this game, and you can't look past the two wide receivers for the Dolphins in in Jane and Waddle and you know, Tyree Kill and coming up against uh, Eli Apple and probably to those uh, um, I think it is it's going to probably mm-hmm. be the other one. Um, interesting after the game on Sunday, Tyree Hill calling out Eli Apple as well. Looking forward to this game on <laughs> Thursday. I'm sure it's going to be uh, it's going to be that that battle is definitely going to be something to watch out for this evening.
3: Yeah, the Bengals defense actually pretty good um, and probably under talked about in terms of how good it is certainly relative to their offense. Um, but like the idea of putting either one of those two guys, one-on-one with Tyree kill or Jalen Waddle is pretty terrifying from the Bengals point of view. Um, you know, they're going to try and take them away more by scheme and alignment than they are by, Hey, you, you can be covered by Eli Apple or, or Ouzier. Um, but it just always feels like if that's going to happen, um, if that's going to be a regular occurrence of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle getting single coverage against these guys, like those are plays to be had for that Miami offense. And, you know, the, the Bills are an example last week, particularly with how many guys they were down injuries, that you can neutralize those players by scheme and by the coverages you're running. But it's going to be nervy anytime Cincinnati is on defense because those guys are only ever you know, one bad angle, one bad step away from a, a big play.
0: Yeah, uh, and we saw on Sunday with the with the Buffalo Bills offensive line, they had stro- They struggled to sort of contain that D line of Miami, and sort of had Josh Allen running for uh, uh, breaking out of pocket a lot of, for that game. And looking at the Bengals' O line that they spent a lot of money re- um, reinforcing for Joey Burrow this offseason, they sort of still failed to, to gel completely. It's still obviously a work in progress and it, it'll be vital for them to sort of try and get things right ahead of this game to keep uh, Borough safe.
3: Yeah. Last week was an interesting one because um it was the first time they ran up against a defense that wasn't bringing like an absolute superstar pass rusher to the table. The first week they got wrecked by TJ Watt. The second week they got wrecked by Michael Parsons and that makes sense you know that even with the amount they spent in the off season they don't have anybody that can block either of those guys one on one the jets don't really have one of those players but they have enough on the defensive line that can all win you know no superstars but there's three or four good players that can cause problems and they did they still got a lot of pressure on joe burrow they, the offensive line had its struggles burrow was able to play well enough like last year to make it work and to get it done anyway um, and Miami is a similar story in that they don't win because they've got a superstar. They win because they blitz a lot. Like they're one of the most blitz happy teams in the NFL. Um, and they're able to scheme up pressure in, in a clever way and cause problems that way, you know, mix it up. They disguise their pressures. They're there's creative with how they're able to generate pressure. So I think it's going to be another game where Joe Burrow will be under pressure a lot. And then the question is, you know, is he, is he able to overcome that or is the pressure uh, sort of, does it take long enough to, to get there where he can get out of trouble and make some stuff happen? Cause I think there's also like a difference in the severity of pressure that comes, which is some of the reasons sometimes when quarterbacks can get it done and when they can't. So, yeah, I think that's definitely maybe the most fascinating element of this game, whether Cincinnati's offense can find any kind of answer to the, the Miami uh, pressure packages.
1: And Sam, on your side, if you're the Bengals, how are you planning to win this game on Thursday?
3: Yeah, I, the problem with the Bengals is from a game plan standpoint, it's it's just relying on their playmakers. Like It's relying on Joe Burrow trying to make those kinds of plays happen. It's relying on Jamar Chase being able to win one-on-one against guys like Xavier and Howard, because um, that's how they were doing well last year when they did so well. It was basically just wasn't anything fancy it wasn't schematic creativity it was just burrow and jamar chase you know making <laughs> things happen and that hasn't been there as much this year and that's probably inevitable but they're so good that it's always possible
0: yeah and just a it's a kind of a, a sneaky sort of you know Miss that that we've seen from the Bengals. Um, they obviously lost C.J. Osama in the off season, and he was sort of the the outlet for burrow. You could say that if the the star receivers that he had weren't available, Usama seemed to always be there to sort of be that outlet to get them those couple of yards. Um, they they've had, uh, Hayden Hurts in this year, but he hasn't been able to have that sort of um at the same sort of quality Usama has. Is is that the the tight end position? Is that something that they've missed? so far this season
3: maybe a little bit but i think a big part of that is the the issues they've been having with pressure and just everything is down across the board and you know if they had the same kind of platform that they had last season in terms of burrow making spectacular plays more often i think you would see hayden hurst probably have a season closer to cj ozama than he's having right now um but there's a reason that hayden hurst is on his what third or fourth team since being a first round draft pick, like the guy hasn't worked out. He is more of an athlete than he is a well-rounded, you know, effective NFL tight end. And, you know, that's, that's the reality of bringing in a guy like that. It's a nice move to sort of take a gamble on that kind of athletic potential, but he's probably not going to be a high end player for you.
0: Yeah. And so before we wrap it up then, Sam, uh, who, are you, uh, who are you leaning towards winning tonight?
3: Uh, I think Miami is going to get it done again. I worry about Cincinnati being able to hold up um, in the face of those pl- pressure packages. If they cause Buffalo that many problems, I don't think Cincinnati is going to fare much better. So I think Miami probably ends up getting it done even after you know the tough week in the heat.
1: Yeah. I just checked the handicap right there, and it's minus four for the Bengals, which I think
0: is crazy. Minus four. It's not bad. It just seems mad for me. It's not bad. It's not. It's not worth. It's worth a look. It's worth a look for sure. Um, one more question then before we let you go. Um, Sam, so sorry. Of course, the uh, the London games start this week with the uh, the Vikings and and the Saints, um, over in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, what what have um, what what? Sorry. What are you expecting from this game? And I guess, it, you know, we've sort of been not unlucky, but we sort of haven't had sort of the best games that we would have wanted um, over in London the last couple of years. But the way the games are lining up and the way the teams are started this year, it looks like that we could be in for a really good series of games over in London.
3: Yeah. What's the, So what's the first one? It's Minnesota against the, the if I Minnesota against the Saints. OK, yeah. Um, yeah, that I mean, the Vikings against the Saints is usually a pretty good game over recent years. Um, and even though neither one of those teams, I think, is going to be a contender this year, they're both sort of evenly matched in terms of where they shake out, I think, in the NFC standings. Like they're both good, capable teams with some flaws. So, yeah, I think that one actually shapes up to be a, a really good game to start it off with. Yeah. For sure.
0: And then obviously we have the Packers and the, the Giants the week after, I believe. And then it's finally in, back to Wembley for the, the Broncos and the Jaguars. So, yeah, definitely some really, really good games in store. As Sam, as always, um, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us. Hope you enjoy the game later on. Yeah, thanks for
3: having me. Anytime, guys. Uh,
0: and that's where we're going to wrap up this edition of the show. Jake, as always, thank you so much. Thanks, there and um, if you want to listen to back to any part of the show you can just get us on the podcast uh, under center podcast wherever you find it it'll be on youtube as well under center podcast uh, make sure you enjoy the game later on and we will be back next week to review week four of the season but until then stay safe and we'll see you soon